0: matter and sort of just the way you grow up and it just really shapes your understanding about God the way things are preached and the way you understand things and that's um, very true and you know the people I grew up with they were doing the the best they knew how same way I was doing the best I knew how and you know we're all just sort of trying to know who God is better and work towards that same goal and but you know, I just I grew up in a rather what I would describe as a rather conservative, legalistic um, Church of Christ background, you know, with the hermeneutics that were sort of along the lines of, I don't know if any of these lines sound fam- familiar to you, but I grew up in a place where we did Bible things in Bible ways by Bible names, and we spoke when the Bible spoke, and we were silent when the Bible was silent and had a hermeneutic where, we didn't do any things unless there was, one, a direct command in the scripture, or two, an apostolic example, or three, a necessary inference. And that was just sort of the way that we grew up. That was our hermeneutic that we followed. And as long as you didn't ask any questions, you know, that, that, that held up just fine. And, you know, that was sort of the way that I was in high school, and then, and it worked fine, like I said. And then... I remember when I started getting to college, probably like a lot of people, I got to college and started, you know, asking a bunch of questions because a lot of it didn't make didn't make sense to me. There was still just a lot of cognitive dissonance, just sort of like between what I said I believed and what I what I was seeing in scripture and sort of what I was seeing cuz as I was reading through the scripture And the way that it was taught with me, like I knew that there was still just like this sin in my life, and I knew that I still wasn't quite measuring up to where I needed to be, and I was still struggling with this idea of just really being forgiven of sin, because I think growing up, we were so, I I think some people were just very scared that like, you know, if we preach grace too strong, then people are going to think, oh, okay, well they can just, people are going to think you can just sin and do whatever you want and get away with it. Um, you know, which was a common thing that you would hear. And they were really just so guarded against that, I think, that they went the other way. So I don't even know if it was so much articulated this way to me or if it was just the way I understood it. But I sort of grew up understanding the gospel as being something that, like, God was really, really mad at you. And if you have any questions about that, just look at the Old Testament and look at what the people he did to the flood. Look at what he did to some of the people in the land of Canaan. And he's going to beat the you-know-what out of somebody. And it was going to be you, but Jesus begged his dad and said, hey, let me go down there. I'll take the whooping for him." And then if you try hard enough and you do good enough, and if you catch God on a good day, you might be okay. Yeah. And if you're in it, so, you know, as long as you're with Jesus, you're fine. You know, but when it comes to God, be careful because he'll get you. And there's plenty of Old Testament stories to prove that. And that was sort of the way I grew up. So I had this understanding that, like, okay, well, you sinned and all your sins are forgiven, but you can't continue to sin after that because that would be cheap grace. So I sort of believed, like, okay, well... My sins are forgiven unless I sin. And then if I sin, then I'm not forgiven. But as long as I don't sin, then my sins are not forgiven. It's just like, okay, well, that's clear-ish, uh, about as clear as mud. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, and then I'd heard it explained the other ways. You know, one of my favorite things about doing this is I feel like I can relate to other people's stories. So whether it's Megan sharing or Kate sharing and I remember when Kate was sharing a a few weeks ago sort of having that same experience because I sort of I sort of believed that that like if I sin willfully then there's no longer any sacrifice for my sin that was sort of the way I interpreted that verse in Hebrews we you know had that read to us a lot so I thought well if I sin willfully then there's no longer, the blood of Jesus doesn't cover any of those sins. I was, but, you know, the, but the problem with that, though, was that that boat left the dock a long time ago. There were plenty of times that there was something that I knew was wrong. I did it anyways. Went to bed, woke up, and did it the exact you know, next day right after that. So it sort of just left me in this place where I did not know where I stood with God, and so even though I was singing the old hymnal Blessed Assurance every Sunday, I definitely didn't have that. So I just sort of felt like I was lost and uh, struggling. And I graduated high school and moved up to the big city of Murfreesboro in 2007. So um, I, my baseball coach's uh, wife ran the event coordination staff at MTSU, so I knew if I came up here that already had a, a really good paying job by college standards to go to. So <clears throat> I moved up here, and I had an older brother that was attending here as well. And then I had a really good friend from high school that I would played football with, and he was going to be moving up here, so we decided that we would be roommates. So we got an apartment up here. And so when we moved up here, I just started going to church just sort of like the way I grew up, I just started going with my older brother, so we just went to East Main Church of Christ, which was, you know, very similar to what I grew up in, and I met some people there, and, you know, had a few friends, there wasn't as much of a college group there, so I didn't feel like I fit in super close, but it kind of felt like a typical church to me, so, um, but... I didn't, like I said, there wasn't as much of a college group there, so you know, I sort of grew up knowing what to look for in a good Bible-based church, so I knew the hallmarks, but more or less, if you saw a Church of Christ on the sign, then you're in pretty good shape, so it's more or less what it boiled down to, so I had met some, some friends that went to a building that had Church of Christ on the front of it, and they were pretty cool, we quoted the office to each other a lot so and there were a few girls there so I was like I can, I can do this and so I decided to leave my older brother we went to this other church and you know I noticed as I was talking to them we were speaking and they were asking me where I went to church at and I said I go to East Main Church of Christ and they said oh you you go to the really liberal church and I just like what <laughs> I was just like i'd i'd been called a lot of names growing up but Campbellite and all sorts of stuff, conservative legalistic but liberal that was a new one i had never heard that before, so I had never experienced that and i you know I realized that I'd sort of grown up in a bit of a bubble, but i didn't realize that there was a strand within the Church of Christ fellowship that was. Way more conservative than, like, East Main Church of Christ. And I'm not going to say the name of the church because, again, extremely loving people and very genuine in their faith and following God. And, and I loved hanging out with them. They were, they were a lot of fun. I had a really good time with them in college. But it was sort of like, made me just question, like, is this, God, is, is this what God's like? You know what I mean? Because some of the questions they're asking about, I'm I'm embarrassed to even say in front of you because they just sound goofy. But you know, when I'm trying to read this stuff that they're talking about in the Bible, I was just like, it's not even mentioned. A lot of these issues that we're talking about, they're not even mentioned in the Bible. And so it just sort of led to that, me continuing to question a lot of other stuff. And I remember one of my friends I had that went there, he just started dating this, this poor girl that went to, a, went to a Baptist church, and yeah, that wasn't good. So, after they'd been dating for a couple of months, um, my friend decided to have the, the baptism talk with her, and because she had been baptized, but not the correct way, and not in a Church of Christ. So, he started going there. Well, this, this girl, you know, unfortunately, she had had a brother, who passed away in a car accident in college. Who had not been baptized in the Church of Christ. So, this girl's natural question to my friend was, well, what about my brother? He wasn't baptized in the Church of Christ, so where's, what's he doing right now? And he said, well, um, I'm not God, so it's not my place to judge. And I, he might have been fine if he would have left it there, but he said, I'm not going to leave it there. So, he said, but... If we believe what the Bible says, then yeah, he's in hell. And they ended up not getting married. So, they didn't, yeah, didn't work out. (laughs) Yeah, I think the part when he said that uh, her brother was in hell, that, yeah, (laughs) kind of dampened the relationship a little bit. So, the only reason I even tell that story, and like I said, that, that even that guy was a really good guy, knew, knew the Bible very well, and, and he was a good man by just all, by, you know, any societal standard, but the only reason I tell that story was just sort of re- to relate to that. I was like, it just sort of fed into a lot of these questions that I have of just, is this, is this what God is like? Because like, it's like, here I am pouring over the scriptures about whether or not it's okay to have a guitar at worship or for Diane to get up and lead a song or, you know, insert whatever your issue is. And it just seems like all these questions that I have, and I'm just thinking, man, God did a really poor job writing the Bible, because it's like, as I'm trying to read through this, I was like, it doesn't even talk about a lot of this. So I remember just feeling... Just feeling lost. And in my mind, like I just knew that my soul was just not right with God. And you know, I just had a, a lot of questions about it. Like I struggled with a lot of the, the genocide passages in the Old Testament. I, I felt like I had a really hard time reconciling the way I perceived God to be in the Old Testament with the way God was in the New Testament. So I I was just like, so let me get this straight. You 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 killed all these people in a flood, or you had your special people, Israel, slaughter every man, woman, and child here in some of the land of Canaan, and as soon as they died, two seconds later, you sent them to hell. And that's what God's like. And if somebody worships somewhere that has a piano, again, when they die, you'll send them straight to hell. Or stuff like that. And some of that may sound silly to you if you're below the age of 20 or didn't grow up in that. And if it does, thank God, I'm glad. But that was just sort of some of the real questions that I was having. And I remember, you know, just when I was just in my apartment one night when I was 19 years old or 18 years old at the time. And so I was just done because I was trying to answer all these questions. So I just vocally, out loud, I just said, "I'm well." That's the very PG version of what I said. It was a lot more colorful than that. But I said, "I'm done with God." And then, at that point, I was definitely a cessationist, so I did not believe at all in the Holy Spirit or Him speaking to us. But sort of similar to Kate, I mean, just like it was, it wasn't an audible voice or anything. But I mean, downloaded. I mean, just like boom. Like a, like a ton of bricks. I don't, I don't even know how to articulate it, but it was just, just like, boom. I mean, just downloaded into me, and I knew that the Holy Spirit, and it wasn't even the Father or Jesus, but it was the Holy Spirit, and I know it was the Holy Spirit because I didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. Mm. So <laughs> it wasn't something I was looking for, and I knew that I was supposed to read Romans through Galatians, Romans and Galatians, back to back without stopping. And that's what the Holy Spirit said. So that's what I did. I read Romans and Galatians back to back. And once I got to about Romans chapter 3, particularly 21 through 28, but talking about a gift of righteousness, that's where I just felt like just the scales falling off my eyes. And that's the best way I know to describe it. To where seeing that the grace that was in Jesus, and it was, and it was just finally just like, okay, that, that's what God's like. And that was the first time I felt like, you know, I'd had a real encounter. I was like, okay, that's, that's what God's like. And I still, you know, don't have... All the answers to the, those questions, because I believe I believe all the Old Testament. I believe in all that, and I don't. I still don't know. And I mean, there's a lot of people here that could better explain all that stuff. We have pastors and shepherds. I think that can help reconcile all that stuff. And I love the Old Testament. I read it all the time. But I finally felt like I understood. Okay, this is what this is what Jesus is like, and I can be confident in that. So. That was extremely life-changing for me at the time, where the first time I had heard God spoke, spoke to me like that. And I'm gonna rewind that story back about a year, but right after I had graduated in high school, my my best friend from high school, that we, we played baseball together, he got a scholarship to go to Tennessee Tech and went over there so we were going to different colleges so I knew that we weren't going to be you know near as close as we were when we were in high school after that so we decided that uh... during the summer after our senior year ended we both really wanted to go on a road trip together so we went to colorado i had never been he had never been so after that we got together and we spent a week going up to colorado and we went hiking and did some fishing and just staying up in the mountains and went to, you know, just a few places, the Royal Gorge, Justice Parks, Pikes Peak, things like that. And it was, uh, you know, an awesome trip. But I remember that second or third night there, we was just spent the whole night talking. We were on top of a mountain sort of camping out in this area that we was at, and we had this fire going. And I remember after a while, it was just we hadn't even been talking for about 30 minutes, and I just felt something just in my spirit, and I just said to my friend, I said, I'm going to go to Africa one day, and I'm going to be a missionary, and we talked about it a little bit, and he said that was cool, but that's it. Nothing else happened, and anyway, some of that other stuff had happened that I was telling you about at the first part of the story, and then a couple years later, or about a year later, it was in the summer, and we—I had went with uh, some cousins and a couple of my brothers. It was during uh, summer break after my freshman year of college, and we were camping there where we do the where we do the youth group church camp uh, at now the fall retreat out there. Before before there was a camp there, my friends and I used to go out there and do some stuff we probably shouldn't have been doing, but that's where we would go and hang out and. Um, there's a creek down there, and we was camping out beside that, and we had a fire going again, and it was sort of like that, the same thing. There had been a long silence, and I had told, told everybody there, I said, I'm gonna, let's, I want to go to Africa one day. I just felt it inside of me, so um, one of my cousins was attending college at Faulkner University at the time, and he texted me a couple months later and said, hey, I've got a professor named, uh, his name was Dr. Richard Troll, and he's taken a group to Kenya, and I wanted to see if you want to go. So we got together with our group, and we all, to, we all went to Kenya, and we stayed there for about a month in a place called Meru, Meru, Kenya. It's about in the middle of the country. And we stayed there for about a month, and it was just an absolute awesome trip, and I sort of knew after that that I definitely wanted to go back there. So we did. We went there for about a month, stayed there. It was an awesome trip. And while he was there, he said, "Well, you know, I'd sort of, He sort of knew the rest of my story up to that point, and he said, "Well, um, I had, used to have a student that was one of mine that got an internship up at." Um, he he thought he went to North Boulevard Church of Christ, even though he didn't, but. He said, I had a student named Kyle Ferguson, and I think he lives in Murfreesboro, Tennessee right now, and he was going to church there at the time, so he said, you should check out that place once you get there. He's part of a ministry, he said, I think it's called RFC. So I had driven by the building, I just thought it was an occult cult or something, I didn't know anything about campus ministry, I'd driven by the building, but I didn't know anything about it, it was definitely not a building I would have ever walked in. So I went there, and then that's when I started hanging out with RFC, and I wasn't very good at picking friends, so I started hanging out with Dean and Brad and <laughs> Shay and Richard. I guess that's the best I could do. so um, So I started hanging out with them, and that was an absolutely, you know, awesome time. And it was at the end of that semester, I met um, Danielle, and then that relationship, you know, started going really well. And I remember about a, and, and that, that encounter I told you about where I read Romans and Galatians was sort of like the 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 most clear I'd ever heard the Lord speak with me. But about a year later, we was at it was just a summer devo for RFC where we were meeting at the quad on MTSU, just right there between the library and the BAS, just there in the middle of campus sort of. And we had a, a guest speaker that night for the, the college Devo. It was this girl I had never met her before. She had never met me. And her name was Janae, Janae Matike. And she, I, I didn't know her at all. And she was speaking at our Devo that night at RFC. And she did fine. She spoke at Devo. We did our normal thing. And it was really, really good. And then after that, sort of like that, that same one of that, that, that same feeling I had when I knew I was supposed to read Romans and Galatians, I, I felt it come inside of me again, and it was just one word, and it was just prayer. Prayer, and I thought, well, you know, at that time I'd had a few experiences with God. I thought, being the mighty man of God that I am, God obviously wants me to pray for this girl. That makes a lot of sense. So after the Devo, I, I went up to her, and I said, Janae, I think... I said, I'd like to pray for you, because I thought, okay, God wants the man of God to pray for her, so I started, so I just prayed for her, and that was fine, and I went and sat back down, but as soon as I sat back down, I heard that same word, except it was about ten times deeper, harder, like it didn't go away, and it was just prayer, 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 so I was like, I mean, it was like 10x what it was before, and it was strong before, and it was just... And I don't, know how to, I don't know how to describe it. But it was just there a lot more. So I knew, like, okay. So I went back up to her. And I just asked her. I said, Janae, will you, will you pray for me? And, I, and she started praying for me. And, and to that point, I had never, ever had anybody speak to me in that way. But she just started prophesying over me. And she said, I see you. You're in Africa and you're preaching to large groups of people over there. And she was saying a, a bunch of other stuff that I'm going to keep to myself. And when she said that, she, I said, wow, that's, that's amazing. I said, you're, you're right. I said, I went over there last year, and we did a little bit of preaching and stuff. And she just looked at me right away and said, no, that's not it. You're going back. And I thought, well, this is the you know, I didn't know anything about what a prophetic word is or a word of knowledge was. I thought this is like the coolest magic trick ever. So, I, so, so in my mind, I'm just like, this is pretty cool. I, I just said, Danielle, come here. <laughs> and, I, and then I was just like, do her. <laughs> and uh, so I just, so Danielle came over and, and I'm not kidding. I mean, verbatim. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Verbatim what she said is, I see you, you're in Africa, you're surrounded by black African babies and you're taking care of them. That's exactly, exactly what she said. So that happened and we we were just dating at the time and she didn't even know that we were a couple and so we weren't engaged or married or nothing and she said that, which you know obviously we ended up getting engaged right here and married right here and um, after that we Danielle was looking, and she ran across this organization called Children with Hope that was based out of Colorado. And they were looking for somebody to come help run their orphanage, and this was back in 2010? 2011? Okay. So, that was when we started talking with Children with Hope. So, it was during that time, after a series of interviews, and they uh, flew us out there to Grand Junction, Colorado, and we started talking to them, and after a s- series of interviews and stuff like that, they hired us, and we went and we moved to Kenya, and that's what this this first picture is, and that was sort of like that original group, which we went there just to to work with them, and it was just an absolutely amazing, amazing time while we was... Uh, there. I was, uh, you know, just so happy to get there. It just felt like such a fulfillment of what what God had sort of spoken over our lives and what we were doing. And we was there for seven months, which we had intended on being there, you know, a lot longer than that. But during that time we was there, it was amazing. You know, obviously we spent most of our time at the children's home, just taking care of kids and stuff like that. But while I was there, I met a man who was actually, he's in charge of the entire orphanage. His name was Peter Peter Boire. And Peter was, like I said, he was in charge of everything and ended up becoming just my, my best friend while while I was over there. And, you know, because I was with him, you know, just every single day, all day. And as we were, as we were over there, you know, we ran into a lot of challenges, and I remember that's sort of the part of Megan's story I felt like I could relate to the best, because, you know, while you're over there, it's great, it's awesome, but, you know, but any time there was, I remember there's some real challenging times during, during that as well, some really challenging some days just where Danielle and I were, we were nobody's sweetheart, and, you know, it could be kind of rough. So... um anyways, I'm not going to go into that entire story, but after being there for seven months, you know, we had done a lot. We had planted a church in this area that was struggling a lot, Vamilia. We, we did that while we was there, and we ministered at a bunch of other churches, and we had started a couple of ministries in a local slum that was nearby, So that was, so sort of working at the children's home and working with the churches there, and in that slum, that was sort of like the sort of the three main things that we did. And this is a picture up here of just sort of like that original group. That's our our first week there from that first time that we was in Africa back in 2011 or whatever year it was. So anyways, after we ended up coming home, you know, it was our, it was our goal, you know, to go back there pretty soon. But due to a lot of financial man I feel like I'm skipping over so much telling, telling this story I've never felt like less of a man when I came back from Kenya cuz we had sold everything to go there so when we ended up coming back there I mean we had what was in those two suitcases and Deborah emailed us and said how many more months of support from Stone Driver would you like and Daniel said Tell them two months, and I was thinking I was thinking more like two years. But <laughs> we, uh, all right, fine. I guess we'll go. I guess we'll go go with that because I mean we were broke. I mean poor people were making fun of us, and uh, we didn't have any cars. No, didn't have any jobs. Just what was in those suitcases, and it was just a very difficult time because those first two or three weeks had we just had to move back into. Danielle's parents' house, and that was just, it was embarrassing, and just not not a good feeling. So, but anyways, you know, after that, I, I had a friend who owned and managed, one of my best, best friends from college, uh, his dad owned and managed a hardware store in town, so he got me a job there, and I was able to start working there, and then, you know, slowly, we started Uh, you know, working our way back and making some money, and I'd always wanted to go back, but you know, for those first few years, we just couldn't, just because of just financial, because of financial reasons, and you know, finally, just as things grew and grew, we grew more towards we could, and um, so we started having plans to go back, because we had stayed in contact with them, and even though we didn't leave on great terms, after we had left Kenya a couple years later, Peter and our American boss from the organization that hired us, they actually came here to Stones River Church. They came for a week, and it was a really good experience. We, we talked to each other. This I can't even remember what year it was, but he came and talked to the shepherds, and after that, Tom, his name was Tom, the president of Children with Hope, and he met with Danielle and I, and we had some really good conversations. He apologized for a lot of stuff, and we apologized for a lot of stuff, and we all had a good cry, and... Um, started and then after that you know the relationship was good even for the past several years but like i said we couldn't go back just cuz of financial reasons well it had finally gotten to the point to where we wanted to go back but then uh and had the money to do so but covid had started happening so it was just like okay well that sort of put things off a couple of years and then after that one of the main reasons we were going to go back was to continue working with that church that we had planted and continue doing some of the stuff in the slumps that we had done before. But Peter, who I had mentioned, who was my best friend over there, I don't know how hard this is to follow, he had a younger brother named Alex that I ministered with a lot while I was over there who was very faithful. Well, he had started doing some things that weren't, well, he would tell you himself if he were there, that wasn't very ethical and um, had gotten into some into some trouble financially, and because of that started doing some things that he just should not have been doing so anyways, because of that relationship was in a strain, we ended up not being able to go but here recently, just this past you know just a few months ago, was when I went back, and I wanted just to show you some of those pictures and talk about that a little bit, and then I'll try to get get uh, get back there this is where we stayed the new one they have a new home from where we was at before, and it was just absolutely uh, amazing to be at this was uh, this is the new school, and that middle part there is i 'm sorry was the is the primary school, and the building there in the very back that is the the children 's home that 's where they 're staying at now and this building here sort of in the bottom left is where they 're in the process of they're in the process of building a junior high. So right now they already have about a couple of hundred kids that are going to the primary school. And I just wanted to show you some of their pictures. And the, uh, that's uh, sort of some of the younger kids. And they're just a, a lot of fun to be around. Because one thing that that school is doing is because they have their own school now, all of the kids from the children's home, they have a free place to go to school but also all the kids in the community now have a place they can go, and, and price-wise, it's just comparable to that, but that's, that's like the best school in Eldorette, uh, the town that we were in. It's like the best one to go to, and the, that's sort of them. Every Friday morning, they sort of have like a chapel thing where they're in their uniforms and stuff, and and while I was there, I got to meet all their teachers, and that's one of them right there in class, and they were, they, doing an, they did an amazing job. They, uh, all the teachers there were just really top-notch, and the uh, headmaster as well. I wanted to show these pictures. That gentleman on the left, his name is Oscar yet, but he's, he's going to here soon be promoted to, to the position of headmaster, where he'll sort of be running to buy a, christian academy which is the the name of their school there and then there on the right those those two ladies are two of the teachers there at the school and then the gentleman on the right is uh one of the cooks and stuff there and that was the school and it's running really good this is currently the the kids at the children's home and now they're they're up to about 40 kids and it's amazing because when Danielle and I were there, the the ones that we were with, they're now the really old, mature kids that are there now. So it was really fun. Um, it was really fun just to to be with them. And it was sort of their pictures that I was most wanting to come and show you today. And I know you probably don't even care, but I just wanted to to show them because it meant meant a lot. It meant a lot to us or to me. But the uh, this is a. Uh, this is Ariel. So that picture on the left, that was that was her first day at the children's home, and then now, and she's the little girl in the pink jacket on the right, and you can see how much she's she's grown up. This is uh, Jared there on the left, and yeah, now it's a, and it was just. Really fun just to see how much they've matured and grown just in the past 10 years because one of the reasons it was so important for me to to go this year, the reason I just had to go, is the way they do things over there is after your 8th grade year, you go off to boarding school. So they do three semesters instead of two. And actually while I was over there, the, the kids there are sort of taking their most important exams because they take a series of exams in their eighth grade year, and depending on how you do on those exams determines what boarding school that you're able to go to, and there's just different levels of them. So it's, it's a lot of stress to put on an eighth grader because, you know, they all want to get into sort of like the best school and go to certain ones, and they're all going off-site. So for example, Peter's has three biological kids, and two of them are already off at boarding school, and, you know, in their, like, ninth grade year and 11th grade year, I believe. And they're living in cities that are hours away from their parents, you know, after their 8th grade year. And it's just a lot to get through. So the older kids that we were with when we are there, that's what they're in the process of doing right now. They're, they're done with their exams now. And then next semester, they'll start going to, they're going to start going to the boarding school, the uh that's a uh, Princess Sophie is what I call her and uh she's uh all grown up now. <laughs> that was back when John had brown hair. And <laughs> the uh but yeah, so yeah, and sort of what they were saying last week. Yeah, you get you don't realize just how Lonely you get. So as much as I loved being around the Kenyans and got around with them, and and don't get me wrong, I like I like seeing John every Sunday. But you know, not not a huge deal to me. But you know, but at Kenya, it's just like yes, stay, <laughs> stay longer. So, and that meant a lot to us when you know John and Tony came and visit us while we were over there, and and even even to this day, when I was there, I had several of the men. Asking me, they all wanted to know, "Hey, what's what's Pastor John doing? What's Pastor Tony doing?" And they want to know who's preaching at Stones River now. And they really feel a strong connection to our church because they're they're within that Church of Christ fellowship as well. So they they have a lot of questions about it. Because Stephron here from Murfreesboro, I know some of you know him, still go still goes over there to minister every year with them. But they feel such a strong connection, in particular, to Stones River Church, just because we. Should share that fellowship, and because they've met, you know, uh, Pastor John and Pastor Tony from here, and the, uh, that was Enoch, I've never seen a kid eat like that kid. You had, you had to give him his food first. Every meal. The, uh, that was Karen. That was, y'all don't think you're supposed to have favorite kids. That was definitely Danielle's favorite kid. And uh, yeah, his name was Alias, and he really likes animals now. He likes to take care of the cows and stuff. So that's uh, Celine, before and after, and that was uh, Karen there on the left, who you've already seen, and then that's Priscilla on the right, and that little girl on the right. I don't have one of her grown up, but that's actually her twin sister. They were they were both they were both twins. This is my favorite picture of the entire slide. This is when we was there the first time, and those were some of the older boys when we used to pile them up in the van, and we would take a certain group with us to church every week. And then, so it almost made me cry when I was there this last time. We was able to put them in the put them in the van, and I that that's those that's those same kids. So they uh yeah they're all all grown up now, and they're. It's amazing how mature they act, act now, and all the girls like to act like, they act like moms. And <laughs> the uh, and these are just a few of the pictures of the younger kids who are just adorable and fun to be around because they sort of act more like the kids acted when we was there the first time because they were similar age, and so they were they were really fun to be around, even though I don't really know them near as well, these younger ones, because I had never met them before. This meant a lot to me, these next two pictures, which once again, they sort of, sort of almost made me cry, but this is, this is faith, and then in the next picture, one a Lady Helen, because you know when we were there, some of the people you get the closest to were some of the workers at the orphanage, so these were some of the women that helped us take care of the kids, and, and this lady, even though it's been over 10 years, she wrote this, this note to Danielle, and you can just see how much of an impact she had on her when she was there of just how they used to, Danielle used to wake up every morning and go over there and change diapers and help take care of babies because it was primarily, you know, babies and toddlers that we had when it was there. And she was such a sweet lady. We loved working with her. And I told her this picture was just so important to her. She had to, she had to stop the picture because she really, really wanted to go change out of her work shoes before we before we took it. And uh, that's one of the drivers there on the left. And then that lady on the right is uh, Helen, who I mentioned that we worked with before. And I probably should spend two hours talking about this man. Um, I've, I've never met anyone like him before. Like This is Peter, who I was telling you about earlier. He runs the entire thing. And I, I just can't even do justice. But every every person that goes over there, I, whether it's Stephron or John can testify to it just an extremely godly man who God uses in a powerful way and he is the person who runs the he runs the children's home he's the one that's in charge of everything but he is also the leader of all the churches of Christ in the area so he runs the children's home he's also in charge of about of four soon to be five churches as of next year, and he also has several farm projects going on where he owns cows and some garden land where he takes the the cows and he sells the milk and in exchange for letting them keep the cows on the property there at the children's home. He gives the children's home milk for free, and he also owns three brick-and-mortar businesses in town where he is able to make a lot of profit off of those. So he's doing a whole lot. And he's also in process of getting his master's in missiology from one of the universities in Kenya. They've, they've had trouble over there in the country with several people were dying because some of the churches in the area became popular to force people in your church to do fast and things like that so because they were forcing fasting the country the way they're solving it the government is wanting to regulate a lot more sort of your requirements and uh, in order to be an official pastor and to have an official church so just to be safe Peter's making sure that he has all the educational requirements in order to still keep the churches running like they are. So, he stays obviously extremely busy, but it's amazing to see just what God is doing in his life and how powerful it is and it's just amazing just how much he loves everyone around him. And that's that is still just my my best friend, but I, you know, even though he's doing all that, he's super busy. My, still my favorite thing to do I think the whole time we was there was just to go out he took me out to a restaurant and just to be able just to spend time with him and ride around in the van was just just a lot of fun a lot of fun and that's his uh, beautiful wife Marianne who we spent a lot of time with time with there and I know we're probably running short on time so I'm going to try to get through it but that's uh he's doing doing just a just a whole lot extremely extremely busy man the, uh, these are just some of his projects. That's one of his stores. They're on the left. And he's actually gotten to a point now to where his businesses have now superseded his salary from Children with Hope. So he's making more money off that. And because of that, there are so many people, whether it's at the children's home or just in the community that go to his church, that, his businesses, that have a job because of him. Because you're talking about a country where obviously the poverty rate's extremely high, but I didn't want to talk about that a whole lot. But the unemployment rate is over 40% by their estimations. If you look it up online, it says something that's just laughably absurd, like around 6%. But just a quick ride across town, you can see that that's just obviously a lie. But so many people in the church, um, Christians, are able to benefit because of his positions, because he hires... People from his church or from places in the area, in order to work at these places, and it, it's just amazing to see. Uh, this is this is Charles. He was uh, again just just an amazing man. He's one of the pastors in the area. I'm sort of showing you some of the leadership over there. He pastors a church in Vumilia, which is close to where we planted the church out when we was there. So he pastors a local church, but he's also a carpenter. And he lives in an area where, again, the poverty rate is extremely high. So one of the things we're starting to invest in right now recently is he's very gifted as a carpenter. So we're starting to, we've been doing a lot of micro-business investing where where he goes and we're buying him just power tools and he's able to take those and he's going to start using them to teach kids and teens, just young men in his area, how to use them so that they can have some hard skills so that they can eventually make some money or something like that. So it's an, an amazing project and he, he really missed, I, I think I forgot about this, I told Danielle, but he said, whenever you see John King, tell him, I miss him and I feel like we are very much in the same way, is what he said. I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> message delivered. Um, this is one of the pastors at the small church, and his wife, his name, uh, his name is Bernard, so Pastor Bernard, he's a few years younger than I am, and that ch- the church I was telling you about that Alex was running and planted, the one that got a little unethical, well that church when we planted, it was about 30 people. It grew up to about 80 to 100 about three or four, three or four years ago, after that was when we start, started having some of the issues with Alex and then also some of the churches that that moved in are actually coming into the area and they're doing a lot of like some of the prosperity gospel stuff and they're kind of like hey if you come to our church do all this God will bless you the same way he's blessed us financially so unfortunately for some of the reasons with Alex and some of these new churches moving in the church has shrunk down to about 15 people unfortunately but He's being very faithful. He's still in the area and it's it'll start growing again here soon. And this next one that's uh that's Pastor Micah. He's another one. Like I said, Peter oversees four churches, so I'm just showing you the pastors at those four churches. So Charles was one, Bernard was one, and this is uh, Micah, and he's a pastor of another church. And it's, it's, it was just so encouraging to be around them and see their faith, because, you know, all of them, not that there would be anything wrong with it, but just because the area is so poor and the unemployment rates are so high, you know, they're all doing this and serving very faithfully, and they're having a huge impact where they live. And, and they're doing it all. They don't make a single penny from doing any of their ministry work. And, you know, Peter, who's been doing it for over 20 years, and as is Charles, and then some of these people are just being very faithful. But the way Micah makes money is another one of the micro-businesses we invested in. Was he, he owns like a tailoring and sewing company. So that's sort of what he does, does to make some money. And th- that's Peter on the right, who you've already seen, and that's his younger brother, Alex, who I ministered with a lot when I was over there. And, and to his credit, I, I did want to say, we had some really hard times with Alex, some really rough conversations, but he's, he's stood in front of that church and asked for forgiveness, and um, he's, we don't let him count the offering anymore, but he, but he still uh but he's back in but he's back in the shape because he is family and he's and he's owned up to some of the mistakes that he's made so he's uh we still talk to him and stuff like that so we still have fellowship with him so, so uh, good and you know obviously they're brothers so peter's his older brother and this is that leadership and i think i've already told you about all of them Uh, there except Heshbon and Joseph, but from the left, that's Charles, Pastor Micah, Pastor Bernard, uh, Heshbon, who I don't have as much time to talk about, but that, that gentleman that's right next to Peter, his name's Joseph, and I just wanted to share about him just real quick, and then I'll try to wrap it up, but he is a math professor at a at one of the universities there. So he's not a pastor or anything like that, but he's still part of the leadership. But the reason that's so important is because in that area, people of Joseph's socioeconomic status do not go to a church like, like the ones we have. That, that's the church, one of the church buildings behind him that we're building now. And it's very rare that you would have somebody that makes as much money as Joseph that would go to a church like where Peter goes. So having him there, having him and Peter with how well they're doing financially comparatively to everybody else is an absolute huge blessing. And he was really good to be around. Plus he owns a car. So that makes him very valuable. And so he's been a huge, huge blessing. I'm the one on the far right. The... uh, Oh, play that video again, Jonah, and John, turn up the volume on it, um, but before you start it, let me speak for a minute, and I'm just going to wrap up, but thanks for letting me share it with you today. I know that was, probably went a little longer than what you wanted to, but our, my plan is to continue to go back there every year, because it's amazing what God is doing in that area, and I've been so thankful to do it, but more importantly than that, it is just so amazing just to see what God is doing through them. It's amazing just to be around them. They're they're so loving, and I always learn so much just every time from being around them. They're, They're amazing people, very amazing people, and you can see that you can just see Jesus in all of them when you're around them, whether it's the kids or at the children's home or you're at the churches there, and You know, it's our plan to go back there every year and to help them with planning their churches. They really want some more teaching material. Because even some of the sermons we hear here every Sunday, like, and, you know, sometimes, you know, to us, they might be good. Like, they're they're starving for that. I remember that that first night I was there, we went and we did a Bible study for over four hours. And I just, just lost my voice and they just wanted more. They just, I mean, they were just begging, just keep going keep going, because they, to them, just getting good teaching, having some good materials, it means so much to them. They're so hungry um, for God, and we want to continue to invest in what they're doing, and also with a lot of the stuff they're doing with the micro-businesses, which is what they used to fund all of their ministry projects, is all going extremely well. So, Um, We're really looking forward to just a continued relationship with us. But that that last thing that I wanted to say is I'm not, not just saying that to patronize you or make you feel good, but it's just true when you're there, just how much they ask me about Stones River. They feel such a strong, like I said, fellowship and camaraderie with this church in particular. So I just want to ask you to continue praying for them. Because I promise you, just even with that Sunday I was there, that church service was about, was about six hours. It was just a pretty typical Sunday. And, they, but, and I took a, even a couple of videos of it, but didn't even capture 10% of the time that they just spent praying for our church. Just us. And it was just amazing to see. So um, I'm done. Thanks for letting me share with you. I hope I didn't keep us too late from the meal. But if you can play that, just that short video with the volume on, it'd be great. And we say, thank you so very much. We thank God for the Stones River Church for allowing our brother Jerry to come here and share with us. So we sent our greetings And we say thank you so very much.